Welcome to Parlay Me Power Players. This is a podcast that explores the latest entrepreneurs, startups, founders, business leaders, and even enterprises that are changing the game. We call them the disruptors. You might see them as your mentors or maybe even your colleagues, but we are so excited to bring to you each week someone we find either fascinating, progressive, or someone that's really making changes in all kinds of industries. We are agnostic in what we cover, so we cover everything from mobility to AI to food and produce, you name it, we cover it. But most importantly, we want to showcase to you entrepreneurs that are really making a difference and making the world a better place. Hi folks, welcome to Parlay Me Power Players podcast. Today we have a very special guest joining us and I know we say this pretty much every episode but today's guest is especially special as he embodies everything it means to be an entrepreneur and that is in my books the ability to literally lose everything yet somehow pick yourself up and start again. So we're very excited today to welcome Stacey Spikes who's an award-winning entrepreneur and founder of MoviePass. Now, Stacey has won many accolades in the entrepreneurial space. Uh, USA Today named him one of the 21 most influential blacks in technology, and he was also awarded by Hollywood Reporter's 30 Under 30. Now, MoviePass was created, for those that don't know, in 2011, with the goal of making film going affordable for the viewing public and offered a movie-going experience to theatre lovers, similar to subscription services like ClassPass, which offers fitness junkies access to gyms. Well, this was like for the moviegoers, so they had access to the theatres. So it was a brilliant concept, and Stacey was the, um, what obviously the founder back then. We're going to hear about his journey today and where he's brought the company and how he lost the company and now he has the company again. So you'll hear all about it. But Stacey's also the founder of the Urban World Film Festival and a former film marketing executive and producer. So Spikes is also the founder of founder and CEO of Pre-Show Interactive, which is a branded content app that rewards users for basically watching long-form video content. And we'll go into that again further into the podcast. He was also the senior executive roles at Motown Records, Sony Music Entertainment and Miramax, and has worked with some of the biggest names in entertainment, including Boys to Men, Stevie Wonder, Spike Lee, Queen Latifah, and Eddie Murphy. So the list goes on. We're so happy to have him today. Spike is originally from Houston, Texas, but now lives in New York City with his wife and daughter. So just quickly, Movie Pass. You know, literally, it's its big comeback, yeah? So it has the potential to be one of the greatest second acts in startup history. No joke. He was just featured, actually, in Time magazine, which is huge. And Spikes has been kind of compared to what Steve Jobs did when he returned to Apple at its lowest point. So Spikes has brought back the company last winter for roughly $140,000 and is onboarding Web3 technology blockchain, virtual currencies, NFTs, and all these things to revive the service. Spikes also has an upcoming book release. If he isn't busy enough, he has a book release coming up in December 2022 called Black Founder, The Hidden Power of Being an Outsider. 
and it's all it's more like a memoir of this trailblazing business leader and an unflinching look at what it means to be black and ambitious in the upper echelons of record labels, movie studios, and tech startups. So we can't wait to hear firsthand from Stacey all his amazing advice and experiences. Without doubt, 2022 looks like the year for Stacey Movie Pass, the big comeback season, as you call it. Now, Spikes can obviously share his challenges, accomplishments, and key advice with us today, but I want to welcome you, Stacey, to Parlay Me, Power Players podcast. Thank you, January. I was listening to that opening and I'm looking around my office like, who's she talking about? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oster syndrome. No, of course. You, you're brilliant. And for those listening, um, Stacey, actually, I can, I can full testimony to how driven he is um, and his entrepreneurial spirit. We actually connected some years ago back in New York um, when he was Kind of, kind of pitching around the pre-show concept, and I know how much it means to you, Stacey, and kind of the visionary you are, um, and the acrimony and determination it takes to have gotten where you are. So um, that's another reason why I wanted to speak to you, and I've been following your journey. So thank you for joining us today. Um, much thank appreciated. Thank you. My pleasure. Here we go. So I think it's always good to start at the beginning for those. I mean, we'll have some listeners that know Movie Pass, obviously some that have never heard of it, some that have may have heard bits and pieces, but it's always good to start at the beginning. So for those listeners, perhaps if you could give us a short overview of how you started, I'm going to call it Movie Pass 1.0, <laughs> just because we're now sure. at 2.0, but at 1.0, when you first started with the intention of making movie going easier and ultimately to get kind of, you know, butts on seats and to build up the company, um, and then to only have it taken away from you, can you give us the short, um, it's a long synopsis, but maybe the short kind of overview of how this happened? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the original idea, there were a lot of subscription companies mm. on the horizon. There was Netflix, there was Pandora, there was Spotify. And we saw how younger people were, wanting to go with the walled garden, all you can eat approach where they just paid a monthly fee and sat back and enjoyed the pleasures of either watching video or listening to music. And it dawned on me, it's like, well, why wouldn't you do that for the movie industry? It seems like a natural fit. There's enough people who go often enough. And um, so that was the, the general idea. Can we make a Netflix mm. for movie theaters? And, and then um, from there, we, you know, it took years. No one thought it was a good idea. Um, and, and you had, you're, you're caught between uh, the studios who kind of say, great, but I don't want to help. And the theaters that say, great, but I don't want to help. And, um, and, you're, and neither of these were, you know, their innovation was always, uh, how movies were made or how movies were experienced, mm. but no one was innovating how we go to movies. And so the business model hadn't been changed in almost mm. 80 years. And so we wanted to innovate where we saw how, when you think of over the top systems, when you look at Uber, it's a taxi cab company that's in an app that doesn't own taxis and, and, right. you know, uh, 
and and when you look at Airbnb, it's a hotel uh, industry with no hotels, right? And we saw movie passes being an equivalent to those that doesn't own theaters or make movies. But there's a there's a change where software actually improves the uptake of these businesses if you you know re-engineer it for its capabilities. So that was the idea, and. Um, Took about five years of going around and with a, my hat out saying, come on, this is a good idea. You guys should support us. And in 2012, we got funding, we got up, we started making our way in the world. And um, I was CEO all the way up through 2017. And then we got a buy offer. And um, so we sold it to a company called HMMY. Um, and they had a few ideas of their own. And one of them was a $10 price point when I was CEO is about $30 mm-hmm. a month. And I said, I don't think that $10 is going to work. I think that's just too cheap. And they're like, we know what we're doing. We got yeah. this. And lo and behold, not, not too soon thereafter, probably about a year and a half, they ran through a lot of money and, and went out of business. And so, as you said, I, I then... Uh, after a couple of years, saw the opportunity, and I recently bought brilliant, it. Back. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, congrats on, you know that that, that takes a lot of lot of um, determination and yeah, passion. So well done of getting it back. Now, I guess I want to address something that you know I think was really uh, interesting with um, Movie Pass in the early days. It's a sense of community, or rather, like fan base mm. you created with building yeah. the business and i guess you know especially web 3.0 businesses and any really business i always believe it's always your community or your customers your fan base who own your product yeah but how important is it to i guess the startup journey and how did you guys manifest this amazing cult following you almost had or you do have yeah, so you know, I think I'm I'm definitely a Steve Jobs fan, and and I think in Elon Musk and a few others, mm-hmm. and I would say I I agree with the approach that you you really have to start with the culture in the company, and everybody who worked for Movie Pass during the interview, quite often we were having a conversation about what movies you loved, and your technical skills were second. <laughs> how often you went to the movies? What do you think about it? Um, how do you experience the movies? What changes would you make? And we wanted people that were obsessed. If you walked in the office and say, yeah, I go to the movies once or twice a year. I just watch everything on my couch at home. It was not very likely that you were going to get hired. So I think the culture started with this idea of you know, built by movie fans for movie fans. Mm-hmm. And when you when you're when you start there, it really gets hard to mess up because really what we were doing was making something for ourselves. Mm. And then if we liked it and we were tough critics about the way the industry was had existed, then we felt that you could you if we pleased ourselves, we would please others. And I think the other thing was since we were not a studio and we were not a theater owner, 
we were the first company in the movie industry that was built from the perspective of fans or from consumers. Mm. And so we weren't focused on those other aspects. And I think that gave us a unique position in the marketplace because people felt like we really understood where they were coming from. Mm. They wanted to be a part of it. No, it's brilliant. And to this day, you have such like, you know, the journey, they've the, they've stayed with you, uh, you know, your core fan base, if you will. Um, and I, I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about raising capital. You touched on it earlier that you raised capital in uh, 2012. Um, and then I just, I guess I want to talk about it in regards to you gave a presentation well, recently in February this year um, and you addressed some of the disparity of capital and distribution and acknowledged how women and diverse founders in America approximately see just 3% of all capital deployed to them. Um, And I guess I want to just talk about, given your wealth of experience and knowledge, uh, just, you know, and, and, you know, your, your knowledge in regards to your product as well. And you described yourself as, you know, being an entrepreneur and also your co-founder at the time, yet you just didn't have access to capital. So I guess my question is, what is your learning from this? And for founders listening today, how best can they manage kind of, I guess, the fundraising journey? Like when do you take money? How How is best to raise? And when is it, you know, when do you say yes? Or in fact, when is it good to say no? Um, yeah, just yeah. Some, some, you know, <laughs> quick advice on that. Sure. Yeah, so some of the numbers, the numbers are slowly improving, Um kind of post-George Floyd era. But, um, you know, before it, before the pandemic, women and minorities in the U.S. combined made up just 3% of all venture capital de- that was deployed on an annual basis. And I want to say it was somewhere near, I don't know, 600, an incredibly yeah. large number. And um, the way that, I think it's uh, akin to is what you saw in the sports world where minorities weren't allowed to play or they could play in, and I'm going to use baseball for a Mm. minute, but you could play in the Negro leagues, but you couldn't play in the pros and not until, um, um, you know, Jackie Robinson was able to cross the color line um, and then we saw it in football and other sports. Well, in the finance world, um, it's still like we have segregated leagues. Um, so you'll see a diverse fund that gets created where they'll carve off one to 10% of their funds out of the main fund and say, hey, we, we've got this diverse fund. But there's two things you have to think about. Well, first you're carving it out. So you're not thinking of it in the big, the big fund, the main fund. Um, But then you're also carving out its own niche, which is the equivalent of what we saw in, in a lot of the early sports where there wasn't, uh, there was segregation. So it's very similar to that where it's a financial equivalent. And you see the same thing with women where there are these, women diverse funds. And I'm, I'm all for them because they at least give some targeting. But the fact is you have to create them because you're not including people mm. um, 
in the same level. And there's a lot of, a lot of people say, well, there's not enough uh, product or there's not enough founders that are pitching. Um, and we've heard that in the movie industry where they'd say, well, there's not enough black directors or there's not enough black talent. Um, and that's not, that was not true too. The other thing the movie industry used to say was, uh, films with people of color won't travel and things like Black Panther and Samuel Jackson and Denzel Washington, and even seeing how, um, John David Washington was cast as a lead in Christopher Nolan's new mm-hmm. film, uh, Tenet was an example that that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, the, the belief that I, I, I believe in the same way money goes up into the cloud, where uh, in the U.S., uh, African-American and Latinos spending power make up 20 to 30 percent. Mm. I believe when that money falls back down, it shouldn't be 97 percent goes to white founders and three percent, it should look more like 25 to 30 percent should be diverse founders because all that money is coming from somewhere, which it's coming from consumer products that go go up and don't come down. So the rain goes up into, or the water goes up into the clouds, but when it rains, it only rains in the white part of town. Ah. And so that has to, that, that has that to has change. To- um, and, and that's part of what in the book that I wrote, we address that. And it's not saying treat us differently. If uh, I could take a line from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it's just take your boot off our neck and let us play mm-hmm. equally. And when, when you, if you want a country that's going to prosper, you want to make the playing field that all of its members can prosper and I think that if you don't do that in a country, you ultimately hurt its gross domestic product. And I'll, I'll say this last part. Imagine when we had sports, music, entertainment. Think about those businesses today and how their global impact, if you still had them segregated and you didn't allow uh, minorities to play in sports minorities to be on certain record labels. It used to be you wouldn't find a Michael Jackson or uh, they had to be signed to a black label that was never distributed through a major. You wouldn't have certain actors that are on the screen. And, and so those industries stay small when you don't have the opportunity to introduce diversity mm-hmm. where you'll see those, those actors flourish in Africa continent or in Spain or in Mexico, you open up more markets for your products rather than fewer. So I think it's smart business for America to kind of uh, open up its funding. Vehicles. 100%, 100%. Well, yeah, look, you've just, yeah, you've enlightened me because it definitely is something that needs to change. I do agree it's slightly changing, but not at the pace or the amount that it should be. Um, And it's really important to bring attention to it because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, press on it and you feel like it becomes like, um, was it, you know, like a lot of, uh, just like there's a lot of noise 
but yet nothing's being done, you know, it's not changing. Like the needle's moving but not far enough. So, yeah, definitely bringing awareness to it is is key. Um, And and so so what I want to talk about now is kind of, I guess, you know, back to Movie Pass and how you created it Mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously, you know, selling a company is never an easy a prospect and you know it's you know you're any any founder can say it's like your baby you're kind of giving your baby to someone else and they have right. to grow it into a you know a teenager or an adolescent or whatever it is and so I guess um you know it didn't go so well movie past 1.0 in regards to the the changeover and what the new company did with it um but how do you come back so I want to talk about like how do you win back the trust I guess of the public and also private investors, like ultimately ensuring them that what happened in the past won't hope happen again. Um, how are you kind of, I guess, navigating that space? And and I saw your brilliant yeah. presentation earlier this year, which was like it was stellar. But yeah, what? How are you kind of going about that? Yeah, I I, I think um, especially when you were the original founder and there was a brand and there was a product, I think some of the feeling is what I've experienced is people saying, Oh, thank God you're back. Right. And, and um, I think that there was a, here, here's some examples. So on my team, we made sure at least once a month, even if you weren't in customer service, you had to volunteer to answer calls because what it gave you was a, a understanding of how your product, where you are in the product line. So whether you're building code, whether it's the posters that are inside the app, whether it's the cards that are getting to people, I wanted to make sure people were working on the front lines and hearing what a customer experiences mm-hmm. and And so what that did to our culture is we were customer centric. And so there's some misunderstandings about what's happening. So perfect example, this person is at the theater. They just checked in with the app and they are trying to buy their ticket and something went wrong, right? that movie's starting in 15 minutes and they want to get the popcorn. And if you're like me, I like the trailers as as much as the movie itself. And so if I've got a long hold time, if I got to speak to a machine that's not real, if I have to go through eight buttons that I have to press, these were all things. And then, then when you get them on, you had to understand what the problem was and having everybody in the company work um, uh, CS, customer service, that gave us a culture. So I'm bringing that back. I'm bringing back the help support lines that we had that when when the private equity group bought us, um, they they turned all of those things off. It's kind of like, it's an app. They don't need to talk to anyone. Um, the other thing that we did that was different was we made sure everyone you talked to, not only were they based here in America, but they were in our office. And not only were, were they in our office, but they also go to the movies mm. a lot. So when you 
called customer service and they said, what movie are you trying to check in for? I'm trying to check in for Doctor Strange. Oh, great. I saw it last night. You're going to love it. Let's get you in there. That's different than if you talk to someone who's overseas and the movie's not even released and and they they can barely speak English. So we had a quality and an attention to that kind of detail because the spirit of the company was simple. Make every part of the business the way we would want to experience it if we were on the other side. And since we are consumers Mm. first, that's how we built it. And so keep it simple, but keep it intimate and keep it personal. And I think bringing that quality back is how we win people's people's hearts and minds back as brilliant, before. Brilliant, brilliant. I love that. That That's so smart. I, I think there's some other companies that do that too, um, where they kind of rotate people into different. So you might be working in a certain sector of the company or division, and then you have to do like a week in another section, just really like understand each other's roles and what it takes to like build a product. And I think it's very clever because I you can get so bogged down in your own world um, in your own kind of what you're yeah. working on that you don't see the full picture. So that's really smart. Okay, great. Thank you for that. And also with, with I guess, the last question in mind, what would be like um, two mm-hmm. or three like lessons that you learned at Movie Pass 1.0 <laughs> um, through your experience oh. um, and advice that you'd give future founders? I'm sure there's plenty you learned, but maybe just two or three that, you know, for founders listening. Sure. I think the number one thing is trust your gut um, because you you see something others don't and it's it's not necessary for everybody to believe mm. you. There's two types of people. There's people who can see a house from the blueprints and there's people who can't see the house until it's right. built. And I always say, let it be okay for people to not understand mm. you. If you understand you and you believe it, that's all you need, but let it be okay where I see sometimes founders get caught up on convincing mm. everyone. You just don't need everyone. You can change the world more with five people than you can with a football mm. stadium full of people. So, you know, so my first would be believe, believe in yourself. The second, which I think is so critical, is make a good mm. product. Don't worry about all the other stuff make it good, make it simple, make it easy, make it reliable, make sure it runs good. They, they, whether it's a, a computer or a vacuum cleaner or an app, let them turn it on and let it work. One of the things, um, my daughter, she's 16 now, but at the time when we first started MoviePass, she was wow. six. And um, every weekend, I would take her to the movies and I would hand her the phone and she had to check oh. in. And when I would ask her what she thought and I would give notes to our yes. developers and used her as beta, as, as our beta yes. tester. And so when one of the things I read about was they took the iPad and they took it into the Amazon rainforest and they didn't give them any directions, but 
they they found that they could use the iPad intuitively, wow. right? So we wanted to, we also had a, a, a thing was we had to complete, I gave the group a challenge, complete a full transaction in only three touches. Yeah. And that was the challenge. And you had to do it with just your thumb. So when you tell your engineering team, I need to go from start to finish in three touches of just my thumb. (laughs) They had a, they had a mental picture of what you needed to accomplish. And before it was like 10 touches. And I think we, we got it down to about four. Um, So that's the second thing, make a great product. And I'd say third is, um, I would say pace yourself. There's a, the, the best saying I've ever heard is whatever you think it'll take, it's going to take twice as much money and take twice the amount of time yeah. you think. Yeah. And so many people get, they get exhausted and they fail because they're just convinced it's going to happen in six yeah. months or one year or two years. Um, you, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I really think you have to just get a, get a cadence and a pace and just keep that pace up. No matter if it, it took me five years to get the first funding yeah. for MoviePass. Um, and, and even Bill Gates said, I think he pitched a thousand people before someone said yes. And I've found that yeah, to be it true. Definitely. It's, it's definitely takes there's no such thing as overnight success in the startup world although you know there's this this kind of you know notion that it exists and you know look there are companies that you know can be bullets and get there really fast but in my experience and speaking to so many founders and entrepreneurs apollo me it is the long tail it is the long journey and you've got to have perseverance stamina belief in it and, and thick skin, like you said, you know, you've got to take the no's um, to get the yeses. So, no, I 100% right. agree with you. Um, so, interestingly enough, you are also have a documentary being made about MoviePass. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Because that's kind of exciting, right? Like, how did they approach you? Um, what was the process? And, like, how did it just all come about? Wow, you don't I'm miss sorry. anything. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> you, you, who, who, whoever's doing the research, you guys are uh, on everything. Um, so, Business Insider, which I guess is now called yes. Insider, had written an article called "The Rise and Fall of mm-hmm. Movie Pass," and some producers thought that it would be a great story, and um, Mark Wahlberg's company picked it up and they took it to HBO. And so it's being produced and it should come out by the end of January, early February. Um, And they are, um, it's the same production team that did McMillions. And so what was funny was um, when they started the, the, the documentary, it was more of a cautionary tale. Here's how it went, you know, here's how it started. Here's how it went up. Here's these guys who bought it, crash and burn, end of movie, mm-hmm. right? 
And then lo and behold, in the middle of their production, I was able to buy the company back. So now there's this whole third yes. act that before wasn't yep. there. And um, so that, that third act's kind of being written in the process. But yeah, they, they uh, Mark Wahlberg's uh, company, which is Unrealistic Expectations, is um, producing it. And the director is Mutali. Right. So are, are they literally like been following you around for like the last six months or how does it work? Yeah, so they, if I had certain things, they followed me around. Um, it was really funny, the that February event at Lincoln yes. Center. Yes. They met me outside of my apartment, yeah. and they followed me on the train and taped the whole thing wow. and really followed me in the day. So I'm sure a bunch of that will end up well, in the documentary. So cool. But it was, it was, it was funny, this... Um, so they're taping me and they're asking me questions and we're on the New York subway there. They said, so what do you normally do? Do you ride the subway? I go, yeah, yeah. what else do you do in yeah. New York? And they're like, they're like, well, some CEOs don't ride the subway. I said, well, this CEO rides the subway. And so they, they said, well, let's take the subway. And so there's this, you know, big camera and where people are getting on and off and the, the, the uh, cameraman says, I need to change oh. the lens. And this woman said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to pry. Um, could I ask what you guys are taping for? And one of the guys says, oh, this is a documentary on MoviePass. Now, he didn't say that, it was, that I was the founder. He just said, this is a documentary on MoviePass. And she goes, oh, my God, I was a MoviePass member. I loved MoviePass. And this other person across said, you too? I loved MoviePass. And, and the guy's like, wait, wait, wait. We got to get the camera back on. And um, yeah, it, it was this. It was a total. Yeah, it was a total New oh. York moment, and uh, and and they did not get oh, any of gosh. that. Well, they, well, there you go. But that's like I, I mean, and we'll talk about further in the in the um, podcast. But I think New York was one of your core markets as well. I mean, that. Yeah, it was our number one market. Which is, you know, great. So, well, congrats on the doco. We can't wait to see it. Um, that's brilliant. HBO do brilliant work. Um. And well, and Mark Wahlberg as well. So, so let's, I guess, now fast forward to the big comeback. Can you just um, share with us sure. a little bit more about like how you actually brought Movie Pass back? Like, when did you decide, okay, that's it? Like, I, now's my chance. I'm going to do it. Like, what was involved? It must have been a pretty nerve wracking experience. Um, but yeah, if you could share with us uh, and a rewarding one, um, kind of what that felt like and how you did it. Yeah, so um, I got a call. So the way HMMY had gone bankrupt, they filed for bankruptcy, and there's two types of bankruptcies. One is um, Chapter 7 and the other is Chapter 11. And one you voluntarily go into to kind of protect your assets and say, hey, we're trying to dig ourselves out, give us a chance hold off our creditors and and that's mm-hmm. voluntary. And then there's the other where it's not. The state has taken over the assets because you owed people money and people lost and and uh they they've seized mm-hmm. everything. And the goal is to sell 
um, what it can and then give back to those people who are out of money or lost. And so the latter had happened with HMMY who had bought MoviePass. Mm. And w- what they did was they put HMMY up for auction. And this was summer of tw- uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. Well, lo and behold, for whatever reason, no one bought movie pass now i don't know if people weren't paying attention mm. but when hmmy went on the block no one bidded for it and 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 just it didn't happen and so i got Pandemic a call then was kind of in the throes yeah we were on yeah so for whatever reason it could have been people said well no one's ever going to the movies again whatever mm. who knows but it didn't get bought and someone informed me that MoviePass was still available. And so I called the bankruptcy. Um, I, I called the courts and verified that that was the mm-hmm. case. And I asked if I could put a bid in. And I went to my present company board and I said, I know this doesn't make sense, but I really think... Um, it'd be a good idea if we could, if we could get it, if we could buy movie pass back. So the board granted approval. Um, there was a 21 day waiting period. So you put in your bid and then you actually have to wait for 21 days that anyone can competitively bid against you. And I don't think I slept for 21 days. (laughs) It was my, my wife was like, my, my wife was like, do you want to eat? No, I don't want to eat. Do, have you been to bed? No. Are you, are you going to go outside? No. We'll stop just sitting there looking at your phone or, or your email. Um, so literally for 21 days, anyone can either competitively bid against you or they can file a reason why the company should not be revived or you personally should not get it. So let's let me give you an example you are bidding for a building, but you're a slum lord, right? They're not, and, and someone says, we're not trying to buy the building, but we don't think that person should get access to buying a building because, so, so the community can, can be against the sale or someone can outbid you. So we had to wait for both of those no one made any negative con- and they posted publicly they say this this is being purchased and i thought the press was going to get wind of it and then someone's going to swoop in and and no one no one they they posted the documents no one bidded mm-hmm. for it no one complained and then day 21 the judge signed approval of the purchase and then we wired over the money and it was that was it. Oh, what a feeling, huh? <laughs> it, it was it was I was sitting at my desk when they the courts called me and said the judge has granted your motion to purchase. And I'll never forget those words. And there's this feeling of it, it, I, I think people have said what did it feel like? And I, I said, it's like your child had been yeah. kidnapped. And you, you, you found out where they were, but they were in a prison in a third world. And they said, your child is never going to get out of prison. Just give up hope. 
And finally, when you gave up hope, they they said there might be a way, right? And you you go all the way over, you have what little money you have, and then your child walks out of jail after years and and you give them a big hug and say, we're going to get on the next plane and you're going home. Uh, I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that. And, and I think it was not only the brand, but I think the, I, I, I think it was the case for the consumers, uh, the fans, the ones who had taken the journey, everybody like saying, it's going to be okay. We're going to get you yeah. back home. Now we still have to, put it back up and rebuild it. And the world has changed a lot, but, um, you know, it, it feels good to be able to try. And I don't think I could have lived with myself if I didn't. Yeah. Well, look, it shows that your, your dedication and passion is definitely with movie pass. And if anyone can do it, you're the man for it. So, so congrats. Absolutely. Congrats getting it back. Um, and let's and let's talk about like movie pass while we're on it like one point as we call it, um you you know in its heyday mm-hmm. so to speak you had like three million users, um you know the, which like I think you mentioned at your presentation recently that within a single year they would see like fifty million movies in a single year and visit mm-hmm. up to four thousand different theaters, and in one year they became like four percent of the entire market. So I guess what two or three, I mean, there's many elements, but just for for time's sake, what two or three elements do you put this success down to? Because there was, you know, there was great success. Obviously, you wouldn't have brought it back if you didn't believe there wasn't yeah. success. So there was success. So I guess what brought that upon? And uh, I guess, you know, there were different things like indie, the indie market was really people gravitated towards with movie yeah. pass, but then again, also what went wrong. So I guess I've got two questions in one. Yeah. So we'll start with, I guess, maybe two or three elements that drove that success. And then maybe we can talk about what then drove <laughs> that success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think uncoupling the two, what we saw was people like mm-hmm. subscription. They liked people wanted to go back to the movies and it kind of prove the hypothesis that if you offered a subscription plan, you made it very simple and easy that people would love it and use it. Um, and so we saw that. We saw the, the use. Uh, people could go to any theater that they wanted. Um, it was very simple. Uh, they had a card that was universal that they could go to AMC or Regal, uh, the biggest theaters in the world to the smallest one, right? And you could, and what we found was it was a discovery tool where we weren't moving the needle on the the big tentpole titles, but we really were making a difference on the art house and the medium range films, not only for exploration into theaters that you maybe wouldn't have gone to, um, but also t- seeing titles that you maybe wouldn't have seen. And that's where Movie Pass was making a really big mm. difference. Um, so we need, to, we need to revive that and bring that back if we're going to have a healthy industry that's not just about the 12 big films that get released once a month. All of those little ones that you see 
the new emerging talent break out of and this new actor or actress and this new director, it's going to come from the emerging markets and those film fans are the ones who are really going to create that. Um, where it went wrong is when you're, when your consumers, your members are asking you to raise the price because they don't want you to go out of business, your price is too low. Um, so it, the $10 price point uh, was just so wrongly priced. Um, I think you can have a $10 level, but it, it's not going to be you can go to 30 movies a month. That math just can't ever work, you know. Um, so I, I told you my daughter, she was little. And when, when the deal happened, she said, daddy, how, how's that going to work? $10 a month isn't enough. And we're like, I know, <laughs> but, but yet there were really smart hedge fund guys that couldn't, couldn't do that math. And I think they just believed, I think they believed that they could outrun, uh, gravity, um, that they could just outrun uh, you know, if you made it $5 a month, you would have got even more people. If you made it $2 a month, you'd get more. And yeah. if you made it free, yeah. you'd really get a lot yeah. of people. Um, yeah. So there's a point, there's a point where you're not running a charity and there, there, some people have said, but isn't that the way of business that you operate the business at a loss? And I want to I want to mention this difference because I think it's important for founders mm. to hear this. It's one thing where your core business economics don't work and never will, and there's another where your cost of goods are high, and you need to let's say we're we're we have a new television that comes out right, and this new flat screen TV is a thousand dollars. And you have very little market, but as you sell more of them and your vendor, your costs come down, it starts this trickle effect that the more the costs come down, the more you can sell, but you need to gradually work your way into that lower cost, not just start by trying to sell a thousand dollar TV for yeah. 200 bucks. Um, so if you, if you can get there by kind of taking steps to reduce your costs and then reduce reduce your price because your OPEX or your cost of goods, your COGS is reduced. Yes, walk in tandem mm -hmm. like that. And you may be losing money, but you're losing it because you're reinvesting it in the business, not every single customer you're losing money every month. That doesn't work. And it, so. it, also, if you can re, you know, if you have different funnels so to speak of generating yeah. business but if that's if subscriber base is your only revenue you're bringing in then you've got to be you've got to be smart with your pricing um okay good so right. i guess that brings us to kind of i guess uh, we'll call it moving past 2.0 um and, and what, what you're doing right. now you mentioned earlier in the year, you will be offering dynamic pricing so customers get like a number of credits mm -hmm. and tickets are given like different values for different show times and different factors. So uh, it'd be more like a tiered system is my understanding. But I, I guess my question is, can yes. you um, tell us more about this new business model and its benefits and how, how it will work? 
Yeah. So as, as when I was CEO and we were gradually getting there, we knew, um, you need variable pricing in the market because everything is not the same. And so even when people go, there's the first, uh, weekend of a new opening and it's full price, right? And you go on to the same movie on Tuesday night and it's a, a discounted ticket. And then after a few weeks, um, that movie is, is, uh, going to be leaving theaters soon. And so you might get matinee pricing or other. So the movie industry has variable pricing, but it hasn't been able to do it very well on the fly. So you might have discount Tuesday nights or you'll have full price. And then you may have something in between, but when that happens, the theater couldn't, easily let you know because it doesn't really run advertising mm. campaigns the theater couldn't really let you know when that was happening so what we wanted to be able to do is allow the theaters to have levers to do variable pricing that would be responsive in the app and then you would also allow the consumer to give them a certain number of credits. And so here's, here's where you have range that you couldn't do before. So let's say I'm going to take all my credits and I'm going to take three friends and we're going to go see the same movie all together at the same time. I could use my credits in one month that way. Right. Or I could, I could say, boy, I want to see a lot more movies and I'm going to go midweek and I'm going to make my credits stretch mm -hmm. that way. Or I'm going to just go on Tuesday nights and I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to go on Friday three times or four times. So what we're now allowing the person to do, the old system, if, if we used credits as a metaphor, the old system was you got 30 credits and every time you went to the movie, it was a single credit. And that was not sustainable. Mm -hmm. This time it's here's 30 credits, but different movies at different times. We're going to align you to use fewer credits when the theater's empty or there's fewer people. If you just want to go Friday and Saturday night, then you're probably the service is going to be closer to regular pricing right. for you. But if you do want to align yourself when the theaters are offering different prices. So if you want to travel during rush hour, if you want to get, you know, if you want to take an Uber when it's really busy and it's going to take an hour to get across town, it's going to cost you more than if you wait to, uh, you know, an hour or so, and it'll cost you a, a, you know, a third less because you're not going during rush hour traffic, right? So it's same same thing. The airline industry, the hotel industry, um, they all do the same thing. Where you have um, an expediter that's helping you move inventory. So we looked at those other industries and said, how can we best do that? And that's where the credit system and variable pricing, and um, even Broadway does it with TKTS, that booth that sits right in the middle of Times Square where if you want discount Broadway tickets and they have empty seats, 
you can go buy tickets last minute to Broadway and you're getting them for 30, 40% off. So same idea, all industries have it, but that's what we plan to bring. Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, you, you're essentially creating a marketplace and what you're doing is so important for the industry as a whole, because like you said, every other industry has marketplaces now, like online digital marketplaces, like, we can access like whether it's transport, real estate, hospitality, automotive, whatever it is, and there just isn't one for the theatre industry. So, yeah, what you're doing, obviously there is a need and I think as an industry for it to survive, they need companies like you. So um, they, they definitely should be embracing you. Um, so I guess that brings me to my next point. I, you know, you... You mentioned, I go back to this presentation earlier in the year, those listening to this podcast, you can Google it, you can watch it, um, it is a brilliant presentation, but you mentioned earlier in the year, earlier this year that you set a moonshot um, and that is to get 30% subscription rate by 2030, um, which I think that's a realistic thing, figure um, and something you can scale towards, obviously. So I guess my question is, uh, can you elaborate how, like, Movie Pass will now be more, and we just talked about, it, but I guess more like a marketplace as such. And like, and look, people always get terrified when you're like cutting out the middleman, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, an industry that has been around for, like you said, like 80 years. They've kind of done things the same way, so to speak. But how do, will it innovate, I guess, to, yeah, I, it is cutting out the middleman, but it's also making the industry viable. So it will go into the next, you know, uh, century and beyond. So how are you going about that? Yeah, yeah. building that model. So, so I would say in instead of cutting out the middleman, I think we're empowering the stakeholders. But historically, there's been two stakeholders. There's been the theater and the studio, the content creator and the venue. What we're doing is we're putting in the hands of consumers, um, we're making them a viable stakeholder mm-hmm. too, right? And instead of just the people that give money, it's now, hey, we're going to sit at the table too. We have software that... Think of it as if we got a bunch, think of, we got 3 million moviegoers. We organized them through software. We, we gave them buying power in the marketplace and said, we double our behavior when we work amongst ourselves. And now with that buying power in the marketplace, they can do wholesale pricing. They can go more. They'll eat more concessions and the the movie industry becomes healthier overall. Everybody wins. So what we've seen in automobile, we've said it in in the taxi cab industry and the hotel industry and the, uh, you know, all of these industries, software has organized and created efficiencies that didn't exist before. And that's all we're doing here. And so the 20, what we ran the math and we realized if you get 30% of frequent moviegoers to become Mm -hmm. subscribers, you can literally double the size of the movie industry. Mm -hmm. So get this, only 20% of seats are filled. Mm -hmm. Think about that. 
imagine an airplane that has 200 mm -hmm. seats, right? And we put 40 people on every flight. I don't know about you, but I've never been on an airline right. that is that empty, right? I'm always squished between people or sitting on the aisle and getting my foot run over <laughs> by the cart because they, they have packed that plane. And how did they ensure that plane was full? They use variable pricing and they have six to eight companies that are filling those seats, right? Movie industry doesn't have that. And so what we said is there's two ways, subscription and variable pricing are the ways to increase those numbers. And so if the industry focuses on hitting 30 percentile, we've done the math because uh, there was a famous report called the Mather Report, M-A-T-H-E-R, that did a study and it found that when a person joined MoviePass, no matter where they were on the attendance spectrum, they doubled their behavior. If you went twice a month, you went up to four times wow. a month. If you went once a month, you went twice. And so no matter where you were, you doubled your behavior. And so subscription does move mm -hmm. people. So if the industry focuses on that, which I think we can, we can go from an $11 billion a year business in the U.S. to $20 billion. And it's very easy. We just have to focus yeah, on that. Yeah. No, look, you've got the roadmap all there. Um, it's, it's brilliant. So I, another thing that I think you guys are doing really interestingly and brilliantly at um, Movie Pass is that you have the same engineering team. So can you tell us about this? Uh, when I say the same engineering team, the same like the engineering team you had for 1.0, you have for 2.0. I mean, that's just testimony to yeah. like, you know, your leadership and the loyalty you have. Um, but I guess how important is it to keep the same team on board or how important was it to you and why? Yeah, so the 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 core engineers um you remember when you remember when Steve left mm -hmm. Apple? Do you remember when they went and created I think it was um was it the Lisa computer and then Pixar? A lot of the engineering team left and mm. went with him. And similar to that um, once the dust all settled, a lot of the engineering team came and joined me at pre-show. And so when we, when we were able to buy MoviePass back, we were already intact. And when you've worked that long with a, a group, um, you know, it's really, you, you have a shorthand, you know how to work together. They, they could all tell you, I'm going to say, I need to do it with my thumb while I'm walking down the street in Manhattan between traffic and you need to make it fast and simple because I got a phone call coming mm -hmm. in, right? Like it needs to be easy and simple. And um, I'm all about, I'm, I am a deep minimalist. Um, I get made fun of because I'm always wearing black and, and I, have, I have, my wardrobe is tennis shoes, blue jeans, and usually a black sweater. So, because uh, I don't Very have to new. think about it when I get up <laughs> yeah. in the morning. Yeah, you you don't know if you're going to end up at a black tie <laughs> event or or at at a basketball game 
and you got to be ready for either. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So that was the big thing that um, was so great about getting the core team. Now, what we're also doing is uh, starting to fuse in a lot of Web3 um, uh, engineers who know the stuff that we don't know. And that's what's new and coming on board to the to That's the what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about as well. Like, so let's talk more about that, the Web 3.0 component. And look, let's be honest, we're all still working out what is Web 3.0, what is the metaverse, what does it mean to our mm-hmm. business models? Mm-hmm. But I guess, um, you know, you mentioned like there'll be like a virtual currency within your system, which you can like roll over. There'll yes. be tradable credits even, which sounds fascinating. Yeah. But I, I guess, um, yeah. What new features will a web th- that you can talk about? I understand there's a lot. You guys still yeah. haven't launched. I believe you'll be launching this summer. But what kind of web th- yeah. uh, 3.0 components are you looking to utilize to, I guess, empower that end user? Yeah. So l- let me use um, an Airbnb metaphor here. So. In the same way we, we look at something like Airbnb, when you're creating a marketplace um, that you get out of, you create software that connects people and you get out of the way. So we look at the um, renter as the moviegoer. We look at the house as the movie theater. And we look at the city or town that you're visiting as the world that you're going into based on the movie you want to see. We see a direct parallel to that. And so what we want to be able to do is create, have a virtual currency. So I can trade that. I'm giving currency to the city when I go to visit it, right? I'm giving currency to that home that I rented. Um, And then uh, vice versa, there's people in that ecosystem. So you can go to a, a city and they will say, hey, do you want to do a guided tour or things when you're there? Well, there are people in the movie industry who are experts on certain directors, or um, they might say, hey, uh, while you're in the app, uh, listen to uh, January's podcast with Christopher Nolan, right? Um, So what will happen is you might suddenly, I might be able to give some of my credits to listen to your podcast, or I might join you because you're adding something into the ecosystem related to these movies. Um, What if you make fan art, right? What if you are an artist and you make fan art and maybe I want to have an NFT of your art that I can buy, right? Um, well, who are you going to, how are you going to know who to put that in front of? So it might say, if you're going to go see the new Batman and there's fan art, now I can trade that as well. And you can give me movie pass credits. Um, the other things that we're looking at is the movie studios are doing things where they hire companies to check and make sure the poster is up, the trailer is playing. Well, what if you did? What if you use members of the community for that? What if you said, "Hey, go put up my poster in the light box and make sure you do it through the theater." But instead of us hiring a team to do that, 
What if we we let let them do it? Go make sure my trailer is playing in front of the movie. Report back inside of the app. And this is all ways that software works where we saw the same thing in the Airbnb universe where, uh, you know, renters needed someone to help with the upkeep and they needed someone to cut the grass and they needed someone to go and refresh the home before someone else came in there. What if there's people who is entire labor force who goes and cleans up the theater for the changeover? All of these things are things that you can do the same things with software. And that's that's the kind of marketplace that we see that's possible mm, for the movie. That's industry. really it's almost like um it's a yeah, it's a two there's two marketplaces you almost create. I think it was Airtasker or something that is something like that where it was like Airtasker, I think that's for handyman so you can hire or whatnot, but also like for maintenance for your Airbnbs. That's really smart. And and it also gets people yeah. involved because there's so many people that want to be involved and they're such fans. Like they would love to be a part of like somehow, you know, putting up the post or being involved in the process. So I, I love that. Um, you've also described movie pass as uh, you know, it was kind of, you know, is it, it was a, yes, it's a discounted, uh, you know, subscription model um, and it's, it has been known as that, but you described it as it's not just a discount, but it's a more discovery tool. So I guess like how much yeah. does that feed into your future vision of what MoviePass will be in regards to like, you know, it's not, it's not a subscription model where you just sit back and you're like, okay, I like cheeseburgers. I'm just going to order cheeseburgers every week, you know, or whatever. It's a, it's, you know, how are you going to super serve people in regards to being a discovery tool more than just delivering them what they want, but maybe what they don't know they want. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Um, I think that the direct, the marketing direct to consumers is easier inside the app where the studio has to spend a lot of money, right? But apps in AI are very good with saying, you liked this movie, so we're going to recommend to you. Your friends who you like went to see this, and we're going to take a little bit of a chance, but we got a feeling that you might like this one as well. We're just going to, we're going to take a hunch based on the profile that you put in the system. Those three elements and making them really smart, we were able to see things and and this is, this is kind of the brilliance of, um, there's a, there's a whole study of, of, uh, you know, social sciences, Right. So we got within 10% accuracy of predicting what movies you would go see and try, what showtimes, and even what theaters and where you sat in the theater. Now, I am a deep, deep, deep creature of habit. So there's, we found there's two types of people. And it's the same on the airplane. Are you an aisle person? Are you a window person? Are you farther up in the cabin? Are you farther back? Are you a wing person? So here's here's an example with me. Mm. I am a wing aisle person 
exit hey. row because the exit row in the wing has the least amount of movement. I'm giving away my secrets here, so I don't want everybody stealing it. But that part of the plane has the least amount of turbulence. So the tail of the plane actually waggles a lot and you feel the vibrations more. You don't feel that in the center of the plane. And then at the aisle, you have more chances, especially when you're doing a long haul to Europe, you can get up and stretch more often. I find I can stretch my legs and, and, and stretch out a little more than, the, than even if I had a window seat. So the, my, my algorithm when I book a flight pretty much knows where to put me. Well, movie, movie people are the same way. Are you an aisle person? Do you like being right in the center of the theater? Um, do you, are you more of a front or do you like way back in the back where you're not near anybody, that everybody's in front of you and no one's behind you? Those are things that we're very, very, very uh, habit oriented. And so those are some of the things that um, is really exciting for us to be able to put into software and help the marketplace be more intelligent um, that we that that we don't see as a, in a hindrance we see it as a benefit so not only will we say hey try this new film you've already paid for it right you've already spent the money for it try it and and that's how we found movie pass was more of a discovery tool than a uh, than a discount people don't think of it as a discount right right no, it's brilliant. And, and and speaking of that, like discovery tools, keeping on that kind of theme, um, we promised earlier in the podcast that we talk about pre-show yes. um, and how that will also add like a layered transparency and also rewards, right, for like the yes. end user. So yes. if I'm correct, MoviePass will allow users to watch um, content and earn points mm-hmm. and you – quite rightfully pointed out in your presentation earlier this year um, or noted rather that 70% of all video advertising is unseen, Mm -hmm. uh, which is astounding. When you hear that stat, you're like, wow, like to think about the money that producers and digital marketers and distributors put into actually trying to get you to watch this content. And then to think 70% of it is just not even seen. It's astounding. So, Pre-show offers a solution to this. So, yeah, if you could just give us a little bit kind of background of pre-show, how it works and how I guess it will benefit ultimately um, your users. Yeah, at some point, um, we haven't decided when yet. We, we, we had been, we've been testing pre-show over COVID and um, enough so that pre-show bought MoviePass back. And when we were playing around with it, we're like, you know, this has a natural fit where we could allow customers the opportunity if they want. It's totally volunteer opt-in. But let's say you don't want to pay for a movie ticket and you want to go for free. Mm-hmm. And you said, I want the I wanna I wanna use the ad supported version of MoviePass, even though I can pay a subscription. Well, now you can say I'm going to watch branded content and cover the cost of my ticket. So it's opt-in. 
you're controlling your own experience. And once you've completed watching it, it basically earns you credits towards that movie that you want to go see. So that it gives people a totally different way. And what we looked at was video. I don't know if you just recently heard, but Netflix, Disney Plus, Paramount, and Hulu all are going to have ad versions of their products. Yeah. And so, so yeah. the the reality is, right, there's a great revenue stream there. And we said, why should movie going be any different? But there wasn't any place to put the ads. Mm-hmm. And so we said, great, let's put them in the app, but not in a forced way. It's purely voluntary that you, you pick the movie you want. It will produce a pre-show for you that you can start and stop whenever you feel like it. And after you finish it, you've earned your ticket to be able to go. So that way it, it gives movie going the same three business models that video has. And video has a pay-per-view model, it has a subscription model, and it has an advertising model. And our thesis always was, if cinema's gonna stay relevant, it needs the same three video models, our same three revenue models that, that video has. And so that's, that's what we would introduce um, at some point. We haven't figured out a date. First, we need to get the basic service up and running, but cool. we'll start to play with it once we get all of those kinks worked out. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I, I think that's, uh, it's, it's great because you're ultimately putting the choice in, in the users. You know, they can choose which format suits them better, subscription or, you know, advertising model as you describe it and, and, and go about utilising your service in the way that best serves them. So I think that's really smart. Um, so the question I have in is in, next is in regard to your upcoming book, Black yeah. Founder. Yeah. Um, just to shift, shift, shift focus slightly. Um, but you know, you go into it. Uh, I haven't read it for those full disclosure, but I can't wait to read it when it does come out. Um, but you, you talk about the complexities rather of being kind of an outsider mm. um, in the in, well, <clears throat> when we're talking about the tech industry, right? Yeah. And rather than seeing this as a hindrance, but utilizing this into a position of power. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I just want you to elaborate on that because it is interesting just to, you know, to hear firsthand from someone that has kind of gone through the industry, so to speak, uh, the highs, the lows, and now the highs again, kind of how you've navigated, I guess, being a black founder, being like we spoke about earlier in the podcast, you know, limitations to accessing capital and things like this, but also how you've managed to, I guess, shift the table, so to speak, and use it. To your advantage, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a great question. And I think everybody, um, one of the things from the book is not just for, um, say, other Black founders. It's really a, a story and it's a book for anybody who's on the outside looking in. And you don't have the resources you don't look like you you should be a member of that club. You didn't go to the right college. You, you your parents didn't give you a you know quarter of a million dollar loan to start. Right. You 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 just don't have it. And how can you take that? And it's what is the mindset 
that you need to run through walls, to make, to turn things to your advantage. And everybody always has a advantage. If I was a person of color, if I were a woman, if I were gay or trans, I can take that group that I am a member of and use them as my first group, right? So that's the first thing is, if you're a member of a community, use your own community as a starting point. And then mm-hmm. you, you, everybody's universal. I find, I think too, living in New York, you can go to Chinatown, you can go to Little Italy, you can go to Harlem, and what you'll find all of them have is great food, right? Mm-hmm. And the food's very different from different parts of the world, but what's wonderful is you can go in the, and it's authentic to their part of the world and how they cooked food and how it came about. And so it's the same idea. What, what at some point when somebody opened an Italian restaurant in a part of town that maybe was just Irish, right? What made people go and eat your food? There's something unique about you and how you do it that don't try and become them. Stay you in your own way. When I used to go up to, um, so it's really funny and it's, it's a little bit of a stereotype, but there's certain parts of town you can go and you can see the same movie in different parts of town and people act different. So if you ever, if you're ever in some city like New York, go see a, go see a movie in the white part of town Mm -hmm. and then go see the movie in the black part of town. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see different reactions to the same, especially if you go see a horror movie. Right. And then, and then when you're, when you're in the lobby, Listen to how people reacted differently to the movie. You'll hear in one part of town, oh my God, I thought it was a terrible idea for them to go back to the car when, uh, when the, the bad guy with the hatchet was coming. You can go to the black part of town, it's like, I knew he shouldn't have done that. You know? and, <laughs> and, and so that's why he ended up dead. And, and so it's like that originality. And I, I heard the, the Dalai Lama said, if you want to be a good Buddhist, start by being a good Christian. And what he was saying was, if you want to be really good at what someone else does, start by doing it your way first. And I think, I think when the good Lord handed out talents, he handed out different talents to see the same situation from unique points of view. And I think that is something we miss. We, we work so hard to think, how can I be like them and do it the way they do it? And you give up the thing that you have best to your advantage, which is your different point of view. And that's really what Black Founder is talking about. It's saying, how can you take, and, and I had to take my outside advantage and not look at I only we I only have access to one to three percent of capital. I, I look different. I didn't go to the right school. I didn't. I couldn't look at those negatives. I had to take what I did have, and I started Movie Pass in a community of deep film lovers as my starting point. So 
that's really what the book is about. And um, it goes through my journey and some others about how you take those disadvantages and turn them to your advantage. I love that. And and did you start the book um, like post movie pass 1.0 or in the, in the you know, transition to uh, where you are today? How long did it take you the process? Because you know, writing a book is no easy feat. You've got to be, again, like a whole project on its own. Um, how long did that take you? That's move? that's a great one. Movie pass. When I, when I left, when I got fired, okay, so I got, I got fired. I got kicked out of my own company. I got kicked off the board and I got fired. That book, the idea, someone said to me, wow, you should take your experience and write it down so it doesn't happen to other people. That was the original thought. It wasn't, it was like, I'm going to write this down so that, yeah, so that other founders don't ever have this happen to them. That's how it started. But along the way, after some suggestions, uh, and I wrote it and no one had picked it up. And, and I think having the pandemic was helpful too, because I was able, all I dedicated was an hour a day to write an hour a day. And, um, and so over time, I, I was like, wow, I've got 100 pages and wow, I've got 200 pages. And, and then it was, then I was able to buy it back. And so that changed this kind of sad tale of let me tell you what happened to me, may it never happen to you, to this kind of Steve Jobian, yes. you know, uh, Michael Dell, when he went back to Dell Computers, when Steve went back to Apple, like suddenly I found myself in an American lexicon that rarely happens that you have this great opportunity and that's never happened in cinema. And and so it, it just turned into this, oh, well, here's now a comeback story. And the publisher, which is Kensington Press said, you know, what's the tagline? Because it was called Black Founder for a while, but what's the tagline? What What's the through line? And that's where we, we worked on it and came up with, you know, what is that power that you can use of being an outsider? Because clearly you, 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 you can't change your stripes or your spots. So how are you going to use it to your advantage, right? Rather than working so hard to become like them. And that's, that's how it all happened. But I'd say it took about a year to, you know, consistently writing. That's well, that's decent. I mean, look, an hour a day, that's dedication. And um, I can't wait for it to come out. So you have to keep us posted, obviously, and we'll promote it through Parlay Me to our networks. That's super, sounds like a stellar book. Now, I have two more questions for you. um, And in no particular order, um, and neither is more important than the other. But um, if there was an entrepreneur, you know, in that entrepreneurial journey, um, and it could be someone that's close to you, it could be a sibling, a parent, a co-worker, um, it could be an investor, it could be some, you know, a fan, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, or it could be like someone like Steve Jobs, as you mentioned, or, you know, Richard Branson or someone we all know. Um, but is there someone that's kind of embodies to you what entrepreneurship is and entrepreneurship means different things to different people but I guess someone that you like wow that's that's kind of 
the pinnacle, so to speak, of like how you conduct yourself or what it means to embody entrepreneurship? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I was a voracious reader and still am of biographies and autobiographies. And um, when I was in high school, every, you know, some people wanted to be an MTV video star and some people wanted to be a sports athlete. I read in high school Richard Branson's book, Virgin King. Ah. And when I read his book, I I suddenly saw, wait, he's not a musician. He's not, you know, an actor. He's not, you mean a business person can live that kind of life? He looked like he had more fun than anybody. And all I knew was I want to work in entertainment. Yes. But I want to do what this guy does. I don't, because he, he had a certain anonymity that the average person probably wouldn't know who he was. Like he could walk in a store and if you didn't, he's, he's not going to be, now he is, but back then he wasn't so well known that you're going to pick him out, uh, you know, walking down the street and like a, like a celebrity would. And he's, you know, flying hot air balloons around the globe. He's driving tanks. He's taken on companies. And he was this little guy. He took on British Airways with two airplanes, you know. And I just loved his spirit. And the other, the other book that I read at the time <clears throat> was David Geffen. And it was The Rise and Rise of David Geffen. And I literally, if you stopped me on any given day, there was never a point that I wasn't reading someone's biography. And that changed my life because it was like these CEOs sat down and told you what happened. And I remember David Geffen talking about working in the mailroom at CAA and him, you know, uh, him, he actually lied about him going to UCLA, I think it was. And, uh, and when they sent the, you know, and just stuff that he did and how he broke in and how he started representing all these artists. And um, that was to me, the, 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 I read uh, Quincy Jones's book. I read Richard Branson. I read David Geffen. I read uh, Sam Walton's book, who started Walmart, I read, and then later Steve Jobs. And so if I had to tell you, they all inspired me. I could tell you the way Sam Walton used to put on costumes and go into people's stores and do price checking. And he he would lower his price to just 10 cents below whatever they put their price at. Um, the way Steve Jobs used to answer customer service emails is why I had my team doing that. The way Richard Branson had a sense of adventure and he'd say, fuck it, let's try it. You know, um, all the way Elon Musk talks about if your data is right and your engineering is correct, it doesn't matter what people think. You know, there's all these, they're all in my brain. And um, 
So I would say to any founder, now you can do it really easily with audiobooks. You can just and you you're downloading Why? how to right and podcasts and and um you know listen to Parley Me, listen to Lex Friedman, listen to these podcasts that are interviewing and they're giving you 90 minutes or an hour or two hours or four hours of of CEOs thought process. And I think they're deeply invaluable. I would tell people constantly consume that. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. I think you need to write like, you know, a recommendation list because you sound like the, the guy to go to for biography. I love biographies too. I think they're brilliant. Um, they're always a little biased. <laughs> yes, 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 of course. I think, I think they're great. Um, so uh, something I wanted to, our last question, very mm-hmm. important. Sure. Very important. Sure. Um, no, if you're a gambling man, and we are not endorsing gambling, but me, it's just pseudo or disclosure, <laughs> uh, would you be... A blackjack, a roulette, or a poker player? Oh, you're going to love this. <clears throat> I go to Las Vegas. Uh-huh. And I've never played blackjack, poker, or oh. been at the roulette table. What? Ever. What are you doing, Vegas? <laughs> I go to conferences in yeah, Vegas, cool. and I've never left without losing money because I've never played. Maybe... You know, you know, I think, I think, um, I think probably blackjack, mm-hmm. probably, um, you know, uh, getting as close to 21 as possible yes. probably would be my game. Roulette seems just too random mm-hmm. and poker is playing against other people versus playing against the house. Okay. I'd probably play against the house because I, I have two variables and there's odds against those. And I think that's the one that I would probably lean towards if I, if I, if I had to choose one of them. You had to choose. If you had, yeah. So I love it that you actually understand more about gambling than most and you don't gamble. So that is testament to you, like, understanding things that you may not participate in. That's brilliant. Um, no, it's always interesting to ask because we always like to kind of just gauge if someone's a risk taker, more like a thinker, more, you know, you can kind of read into it what you will. But um, we, it's our signature question here at Parlay Me. So thank you for being a good sport and answering that. My pleasure. So, um, our last our last thing is how do people get in touch with you? And I know you're inundated with, I mean, you just feature in Time Magazine. You get a lot of a lot of people like talking about you right now and people are reaching out to you. But if there's someone watching this and they have an idea or they're just a big fan of MoviePass, and, um, how, how best should they get in contact with you? Is it Twitter? I, is I would say number one it would be use LinkedIn. And I, and I will... I want to say two things that I think are misunderstood Um, that first, if you're writing someone get to the point Mm -hmm. of sometimes people will tell you this long story and you don't know how you play a part in this, but Hey, I saw you or I heard you and this and that, and I'm doing this and they're telling you their whole life story. And then they say, I'd love to talk and, but you don't understand how that has anything to do with you. So first, 
first is get to the point. And then secondly, one of the big misunderstandings is that because I work in the movie industry, I make movies. Mm -hmm. I have never made a movie in my life. I I don't have anything to do with making them. I can't tell you how it's done. I'll get people who have scripts and they have ideas and they want to pitch me. And I, and I, I feel so sad because I'm like, I don't know anything about that. I can tell you about how to go to the movies. Um, So that would be my, my two things is, you know, get to the point and then, uh, just understand I don't do anything with production or the making of movies. That's the number okay. one misunderstanding that people have. I, I saw a LinkedIn thing today that someone sent me about, hey, I've got this great project I'd like to tell you about. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you never know. There might be a vertical within Movie Pass one day, but it's not today, folks. So, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. Um, it, I, I actually, funnily enough, I get those sort of things too because I, I did work in LA back in the day in the movie industry. I no longer do. I get random, like, I've got a script. I've got it. I'm like, yeah, I'm not, not, <laughs> it's yeah. not what I do now, but yeah, but no, it's great. Look, I, I, I'm, look, I'm such a advocate for these platforms that let you just be able to connect with people, which is just brilliant in itself. Um, so there, you heard it here first, people, LinkedIn, don't pitch your film projects, but do reach out to Stacey if you've got something else you want to discuss with him. Look, thank you so much, Stacey, for your time today. It's been so brilliant speaking to you. Um, January, so thank you. Thank you. This yeah, has been fantastic. You're so well poised. You're so, I love it that you're so clear with your vision. Um, and you're so committed to it. And I think that's all you can ask from a founder. Like it's, it's you know, something you can't go to college to learn. It's something you just either have or you don't have. And you definitely have it. So thank you for sharing your amazing journey with us. And um, I look forward to seeing your book come out and just following your journey further. So thank you again. Thank you so much, January. I really appreciate it. And I love the, the attention of detail and the range of people that you interview. I think you're doing a really good service. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. And we'll all be following your journey. So all the best. (laughs) Thank you.